Have you tried Music to Code by yet? Well, why not? Here's a comment Joe left on the website. This is also great music to mow by. I like listening to music while doing yard work to help the monotony of it seem less tedious. This past summer, I started listening to these tracks while doing yard work, and they worked great! I could let the music play in the background without focusing on it, and it seemed to help me concentrate on getting through my tasks. Thanks, Joe. And you know, now you can download the entire 13-track collection. That's over five and a half hours of music to code by for only 39 bucks. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still in Oslo. We like it here. How could two guys stay in uh, Oslo for months we're, and months and we're months? We're already getting the married couple comments from a few folks that we just face-to-face -face yeah. flunking away all this the time. This comes out August 10th, and tomorrow's my birthday. I'll be 50. There you go. Happy birthday, my friend. You'll I'll be 50 be years old. I'll be playing with the band, the Franklin Brothers Band, at the Windjammer. Right in Mesquamacet, Rhode Island, right on the beach, and having a big bash. That's awesome. That's my and I'll be in Australia. Yeah, we just keep missing each other. Yeah, there you go. It's funny how time shifting works. Yep. Well, anyway, let's roll the music because I got something good for Better No Framework. Awesome. All right, man. What do you got? Well, this is the same day that I had. Uh, breakfast with James Montemagno. Oh, nice. And I asked him what his favorite plugins for Xamarin were because he made a bunch of them. He has. And he said by far his favorite, and it was the first plugin he did, and it's still the best, is the settings plugin. Interesting. Okay. So now you got a Xamarin app. Let's say it's a Xamarin Forms app. You just pull this plugin into the PCL uh, app, which is your UI part, and you can do settings on every platform. And it's just one code base, one line of code, and it works everywhere. And that's just a simple thing. But, you know, they're all different. iOS, Android, Windows, they all have their own APIs, and right. it just abstracts it all away. So there you go, the settings plugin. It's cool, dude. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. That's what I got. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off show 966, the one we did back in April of 2014 with one Nicholas Blumhart, mm. where we were talking about structured logging. How Odd. How strange indeed. Yeah. Who would do would do that? Nobody would do that. <laughs> and this comment, which is only a year old, because the show is three years old, this comment's a year old, mm. and it's from Tom Atwood, who says, Hi, Carl and Richard and Nicholas. Mm -hmm. I hope <laughs> all is well. Hey, thanks for asking. Mm. Things are good. We're working a lot, though. Yeah, yeah. What a, cons what a nice guy. That's very nice. He's very concerned. You know, you almost send him a mug or something. I, I don't think know. we should. Strange. That's a yeah. good idea. I like that. I like that idea. I listened to the show regarding Serilog with Nicholas when it aired, and I've come back to the comments section, I mean, two years later, Yeah. as we just had one of those, quote, religious discussions in the office regarding the various logging frameworks. Right. And I'm, by the way, I'm kind of flattered that, yeah. you know, two, he's like, oh, they did a show and went back yep. and found it. Yep. Uh, and looked at Serilog, ETW Slab, Nlog, Log4Net, and so forth. There seems to be much disagreement about the proper way for doing logging in apps, whether in enterprise or not, <sighs> as well as the tools that can be used for supporting logging. Sec has getsec.net, for example. Uh, in addition to the desire to keep things simple, using something like Serilog, sometimes it's dismissed by those engineers that feel a, a Microsoft-supported but seemingly more complex approach for example, Slab, mm. you know, the one that's basically deprecated now, yep. uh, should be used. In addition, with .NET Core, it seems that the simpler approaches, like Serilog, may be flavored, although I may be wrong on that too. Any chance we could get a logging show in the near future? A revisit with Nicholas or some others of various logging options and approaches would be very helpful. Nah. We can't do that. No, we no. Can't Sorry, that. Tom. No, no way nope. to do that. Sorry. I really apologize, but yeah. nope, no chance at all. There's no way. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tom, it may have taken you a year, but you got your wish. We got Nicholas back, and uh, 
On top of that, I'm going to send you a .NET Rocks mug. So .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. We publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet. We shred them for your protection. <laughs> <laughs> nice. What does a tweet sound like when it goes through the shredder? <laughs> That's <laughs> no, more like. Isn't that how you make like a cat that. go woof? Is you pour gasoline on them, set them on fire? Oh, woof. dude, that is so bad. You can't tell that joke. That's that's like a horrible joke. Well, then there's also how do you make a dog sound like a cat? You freeze them with nickel nitrogen and saw them in half. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I was. We you shoot know, shows all day. I, you just tickled me because I I used to tell that joke when I was ten. There you go. Ten. This is what happens when we shoot shows all day. That was back in the Ford administration, for Christ's <laughs> sake. All right, let's formally introduce Nicholas Bloomhart. He's a keen developer, technologist, and entrepreneur with experience building large-scale platform software at Microsoft, developer tools including SEC and Octopus Deploy, and a wide range of consumer and enterprise software systems. Nick has, a, Nick has had a long involvement with... It's exploding. exploding. Nick has had a long involvement with open source software and .NET by founding projects like Autofac, Serilog, and Spraca, that's S-P-R-A-C-H-E, and working on some of the first open source components of the .NET base class library, or BCL. Nick is co-founder of Data Lust and maintains a technical blog at nbloomhart.com. That's N-B-L-U-M-H-A-R-D-T.com. Welcome back. Cool, thank you. Yeah. Bit too long, sir. Yeah. That's 2014, though. That's a re- that is a really long time ago. Right? Yeah, mm. and here you are still doing the Serilog things. You're doing a session here on Serilog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've been, um, I've been chipping away at it for a long time, but I realized that with all this open source work, it's, um, you know, writing the code is always just the, f- the first part of a Tiny long, long piece process. of the equation, yeah. right? Yeah, sure. code, code that nobody uses and nobody hears about is... Not worth much at all. So yeah, in yeah. and you, but you create a lot more work for yourself when they actually do use it and mm. complain about it and <laughs> <laughs> tell yeah. you how you did it all wrong and how they're angry with you for not making it the way they want you to make it for mm. you. And that's it. Stop but me, stop me if you've heard any of this before. <laughs> no, but four, four years down the track, at least I can spread a bit of the blame now. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah, quite a few people have been working on Serilog with me in the last. Any comments few years, on so. Tom's uh, comment? Just it sounds, about it sounds like a minefield to me, honestly. Um, so many options. I think I, I, I don't know. I, there's there's so many interesting um, technologies in this space. Isn't it funny that I people think that there's a proper way to do something that there's a million and one ways to do? Yeah, I just I, I just came out of an ETW talk, um, and that's a completely different approach to the same kind of sure subject matter. Yes. But you know, if you're writing a device driver for Windows or something like that, I mean. Yeah, you know, Serilog or Logfinet or whatever is not going to be in the equation. We're going to so. be talking with Dina in uh, in a week. Yep. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, so yeah, no no one right way. And I remember when we were actually talking about 2014, it was like, look, you're only going to put so many cycles to think about logging. If you go this path, then you're not stuck. Yeah. There's so many ways to actually propagate that log, whether you stick it in a SQL Server, or dump it to a file, push it to ETW. Like you it. have all the choices in the world. Yeah, I think. I think as much as we love building these things, the more they stay out of the way, the better in the long run. Yeah, the goal of your app was not to create log files. No. Oddly enough. No, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Mm. but making it disappear into the... the you know, background like that actually takes a ridiculous amount of work. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, uh, right. lot of effort. We do. Humanitarian toolbox line. Outcomes, not outputs. Right. Mm. And, uh, yeah, your software is supposed to have an outcome. Mm. It's almost inevitably going to have an output, but that's not what you should measure it by. So the typical yeah. application for Serilog is you, you want to just take all of the things that you want to log uh, in, in, a, in a single entry, and maybe you've got an, a class already but maybe you don't maybe you just make up your own class and hang a bunch of properties off it that have that re- reflect all the data you want to save and just put it in yeah i don't think you, you don't even really need to go that far most of the time it's uh, serilog is very much like it, i mean it was designed to be as much like log net as you could excuse at that point in time and yeah. that it's like a you just write out text in a um you know the classical kind of logging statement mm. but with just a few little twists to make sure that the the values that go into that message can still mm. be extracted without having to parse the log 
later on with regex or yeah. anything crazy like that. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. And so the so it's the uh, ability to query the log. It is afterwards. all about querying. That's like really what it's about. No, I, th I don't think anyone gets any value out of writing writing, sure. you know, writing the logs. It's the it's really when um, I mean it's it's crazy how. Um, Diagnostics, especially in production, is like the single most stressful thing that pretty much any of us do in our programming sure, yeah. jobs. By so far. Yeah. yeah Although also enjoyable. Like if you like a murder mystery. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we shouldn't make it any harder for ourselves than, we are, than it already has to be. Yeah. I think like when the, when the chips are down, the, the clock yeah. is ticking, you know. You we actually really do want, want a resolution. Yeah, that's why I love building this stuff, I think, because it, like shaving, shaving minutes or hours off of that resolution time. That diagnostic is, process. Mm. Yeah, it helps. You know, improves people's lives. It's, uh, it's yeah, a cool. No. It's a cool thing. You, you got to get occasional happy grams from somebody saying, "Hey, you know, your your logging framework saved my bacon today." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah occasional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Uh, How many do you get? Your logging framework threw me under the bus today. Uh, Not zero. Oh, I don't know. Negligible. Yeah. How much yeah. trouble can you really get into a logging framework? True. Right. You can't write software without somebody disagreeing with you with yeah, your decisions no. and your. Mm. If if you, if they do they agree all the time, you maybe you haven't done a good job. Yeah. Yep, that's it. So, uh, has it evolved much? I mean, since 2014, is Serilog still Serilog? The core idea probably hasn't evolved a lot at all. I mean, uh, there's a, a fellow raised a point in the uh, talk I gave on Serilog yesterday mm -hmm. uh, that uh, historically, logging libraries and all of those sorts of diagnostic tools have been condemned to eventually become as complex as the system that they're supposedly you know, <laughs> oh, right. um, yeah. instrumenting. That's kind of a law of reverse entropy right there, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so, so Serilog, it's, uh, the evolution is mostly making it work better. We did go through yeah. a bit of a uh, churn period where we spent a year um, keeping up with the different versions of .NET Core, and mm. we really Ooh. wanted to be there when it shipped because the ASP.NET guys have um, produced such a, a great lot of like hooks in the ASP.NET Core framework for this stuff, and so Serilog was a really good pairing with that, but it took a lot of effort for the so community. So I got to think that when we interviewed in 2014, you were in a good state, because the next state. year, when yeah. Core started coming out, and that like eight or nine supposed beta versions that mm. were more like alphas, that yeah. must have been very tough on you, if you were going to try and keep up. Yeah, I guess the flip side is that it's a, it's a good way to get in depth and learn a new technology trying to trying to support it at that sure. deep integration level. Oh yeah, yeah. Sure. Oh, so you're yeah, deeply really immersed in core. Yeah, and you can't uh, you can't take that perspective away again when you've seen how something evolves. You sort of understand a little bit of the forces that drove the design and sure. so it's not quite so. I'm trying to think of the things that could go wrong in a logging framework. And the only thing I can really come up with is a disk failure, either out of yeah. disk space or your disk fails or something and Yeah, or simple things like that. A lot of people don't believe that logging frameworks should ever throw exceptions, for instance. I mean, right, you don't want the right. thing that's going to diagnose failures actually causing, right. causing them. So well, you do want to know that your disk is bad or borked or full or whatever. Yeah, most of the time then, that. though, that's a matter for some kind of system monitoring tool to, um, right. to, to reveal that. Because logging, I think, once the disk is full, just has to, just has to shut up, I think. And yeah. uh, right. Yep. You're, and you're sure going to get someone angry at you that you didn't log. Yeah, I don't. I don't think so. So many people are using file-based logging though anymore, just because no? the. Well, once you've got micro, I mean, right-sized services and those sorts of things, you've you've got apps that are spread over a lot of machines and a yeah. lot of like little processes and. Um, yeah, what does logging even look like in the microservice world? Yeah, it's horrible. A separate yeah. log for every service. Woo. Yeah. yeah. I don't do that. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think centralized is the. Sure. Is, the typical sort of way and to use Serilog. that's something Serilog does pretty painlessly that you would have a central logging point. It was born into that kind of yeah. uh, environment. But there are something like 100 different um, hundred different outputs now. I was just looking at Postgres. Yeah, we've got like 100 syncs, I think, that wow. you can send. Um, not, not all written by Serilog. About half of those, I think, have been done by the project. So we log it to a SQL server, and then we have a transaction log. Yeah, well, now we have a log of logs. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've actually been looking at Postgres You know, if you put lately. some music to it, you'd have a logarithm. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, SQL Server and Postgres have both been adding um, JSON support yeah. oh, nice. quite heavily. And so, yeah, yeah especially I've looked in, into Postgres more of the two. Mm. And... Um, yeah, so when you've got log data that's kind of semi-structured and you've got a, a bag of properties associated with an event, mm -hmm. you can get in there and really kind of query that first class in, in modern databases. So. Nice. But yeah, there's lots of, other, lots of other different options. Obviously, I couldn't even imagine, though, 
how we've how how there's a need for a hundred different logging outputs. Yeah, but yeah, obviously everybody does different. I'm yeah. I'm just pulling up the provided syncs, not all of them. Yeah, Aka, yeah. Oh. alternate rolling file, CloudWatch, yeah. DynamoDB, Kinesis, Azure Application Insights. Talking yeah. about everything that runs. Yeah, everywhere. no kidding. You know, this yeah. it, that's it, the list goes on and yeah. on and this on. Is, like, yeah, this is the cool thing about like like the way Serilog is designed. We we took a little bit more of a um, batteries not included approach in the end and. <laughs> so a lot of stuff just isn't in the box, and because it's not in the box, it doesn't uh, favor an implementation that right. comes from the project. And so yeah. people are encouraged to go and write their own providers that plug in. It makes a lot I of think. sense. And yeah, in, and in most cases are have already written, so you can grab it and go. Yeah, and yeah. and the nice thing about that is people write them and maintain them and support them, and it spreads a bit of the load in a really natural way. So people using different targets kind of go to the maintainer for the the sync that they're using rather than all having to come to some central place. So, Because yeah. the, the maintenance and support in open source is obviously the, well, yeah, I guess one of the many <laughs> hidden, <laughs> hidden, uh, <laughs> hidden costs. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's some care and feeding. I'm just going to have to take a look at your project for a second, look at all the contributors and the current stack of issues because yeah. that tells you a lot about the state of a project. You know, that just well, that I think we... we um, we've got one of the same problems that I think ASP.NET and, and .NET has at the moment, though, where we've split work across so many repositories now. I think we've got 80 contributors or so listed right. on the core repository, but actually there are 209 rep uh, contributors over 59 repositories, Wow! I think, um, uh. now. So, I mean, for, it's obviously uh, the numbers are uh, not comparable to what you get in a big project like .NET. Yeah. But, um, is Serilog an aspect-oriented log? No, it's no. something that you have to deliberately call. You do need to deliberately call it. But I think yeah. that you you need to try to include a lot of semantic information in a log event before someone or yourself, usually, <laughs> months down the track is going to be able to tell what that was really supposed to, okay. to mean. So the as aspect-oriented stuff is really interesting, but... It's not as deliberate, obviously. And you it's, well, it's good if you're doing some kind of local diagnostic session where you just want every method call to mm. be logged and you can go and, right. you know arrange that in some kind of call graph or something but I mean uh, yeah for Serilog I, I, I think just crafting up really good meaningful events is better because you keep the volume of data down and yeah. make it easier to I mean sifting through logs is the pits yeah, sure sure. Is. yeah. And, and it's always this battle between I didn't instrument enough and holy smokes look at how many entries this <laughs> is yeah um, <laughs> it is and yeah. I, I think the surprising thing is as well that uh, people always kind of allocate a whole pile of iron to their SQL server or their database or right. you know, whatever is kind of seen as the central data store for an app. And then you and then you realize that they're producing probably ten log events per transaction and those have to go somewhere. And in fact the logging infrastructure is probably and it should should be the largest thing. Yeah, it's probably more system. resource intensive than the database itself. Yeah, which is something mm. I didn't really anticipate like, mm. going into learning about this stuff. Yeah. Do you think the norm is too much logging then? I think that norm is probably too much careless logging. At, mm. um, I mean, every log that I that I open up is generally dominated by one pretty much meaningless event repeated, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hundreds and hundreds and th hundreds of thousands. That of nobody's times, ever going to actually take an action on. I guess that's the question: mm. is when is a log entry valuable? That. To make myself produce better logs, I force myself to read them during development. So I write some code, I test the code with unit tests, but then my sort of pseudo integration test is usually to then go and run through a scenario and just make sure that the, the logs the system produces, um, uh, well, actually first to make sure that, that the system's doing what I think it's doing, mm -hmm. but yeah. then you know to make sure that there's enough information there, I can go and um, figure out what's going wrong later on down the yeah. track. Right. So I think, that shift left idea in DevOps seems to be kind of across the board in development. Like the earlier that you look at something and the earlier you spot problems and improve, um, improve quality, the, you know, the more you benefit from it. And it's, you know, that early stage to engage with operations and to talk about how are we going to instrument this? How are we going to measure success? Mm. How are we going to diagnose problems? You know, what do you folks want to see? You know, how do you go yeah. about it today? Is, yeah. is, do, is figuring out what to log and when an art form, you think? Or is it something that you can naturally come to, but with, with some rules? I, I try not to overthink it because I, I, I hope that logging mostly is something that you can do with a relatively low kind of slice of your attention while you're writing, writing the code that matters. But yeah, um, yeah I think um, 
Yeah, here's a, here's a good example, right? So let's say I'm writing something where I'm processing 25 frames a second of something. Maybe it's mm. a game, maybe it's a connect or something. I don't know, whatever. And you want to you wanna log things that happen, but you, not every one of them, right? So mm. now you have to like set up a you know, maybe a counter, and if if, if mod yeah. 10 is zero... Then log something out. Then log yeah. something, you know. I, I spend a lot more time, though, thinking about logging as a, almost like a trail of breadcrumbs, or a, it's... If, if you think about all the work that a, that a complex system's doing at once, there are all these little causal chains going on, like um, a request is getting handled, or a message is getting processed in a backend, or something yeah. like that. Um, and you need your logs to provide some way of correlating between those mm. those things. So given an error that occurred during a process, processing of a request, I might want to find everything that happened along the, alongside it during the same request. And then I might find an order ID that was placed. And then I need to go and look at all the rest of the logs in the system. And maybe I find something that happened in a backend message handler. And then I navigate along the message ID axis. Right, and I find, right. you know, so setting up those correlation schemes is probably the thing that takes the most is there a queue thought. built in? Into Serilog? Yeah. Uh, there's, a, there's a kind of a base implementation that a lot of the syncs use that does a... Um, so all of the syncs that do any kind of network, mm. I.O. generally um, buffer events on a background thread, uh, buffer events into a queue, and then a background thread goes and flushes those out. Got so it. they're not blocking. Yeah, yeah pe people frequently come and ask, uh, can, can you make this async uh, without probably realizing that we don't really do any I/O on the thread that you're calling log on. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But, Interesting um, point. We've resisted async pretty strongly, but that's yeah. Why? Why yeah. do it if you don't need to? If yeah. you're gonna, if yeah, that's right. It's gonna come back immediately. It is. So it, for all intents and purposes, it is async. Yeah, and it puts a lot of, it puts a lot of sort of um, onus on the caller to properly handle those tasks yeah. and things. Like, right. Yeah. Uh, hold that thought, Nicholas, for just a second while we take a minute to pay the bills. This episode of .NET Rocks is made possible in part by Windows on the Google Cloud platform. What? Isn't this a .NET show? Yeah. .NET runs on the Google Cloud platform, man. Everything in .NET? You bet. All the .NET core libraries and more, including 200-plus Google.com and cloud services. Hey, John Skeet's behind it. He's a genius. The John Skeet? The Rescue the Princess John Ski from Stack Overflow? <laughs> yeah, the one and only. You can deploy your ASP.NET Windows apps to Compute Engine or your ASP.NET Core apps to App Engine or Container Engine, which is Google's hosted Kubernetes environment, and it runs like, well, Google. What about Visual Studio integration? Oh, it's there. I'm reading it now. You can use Visual Studio to manage your GCP resources and deploy your existing apps. Yep. You can get stack driver logging, error reporting, and tracing support for .NET and .NET Core. Also, there are PowerShell commandlets for GCP, which run on Windows and Linux. And if you need help, there are a great set of partners to get workloads to GCP, including Capgemini, Nudesic, and Magenic. So go to gcp.netrocks.com and get your free trial today. .NET on Google. Who knew? And you're listening to .NET Rocks. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell here, and Nicholas Bloomhart's with us talking about Serilog. Again, and what's new? 100 syncs or more. Yep, that's yeah. a lot of syncage. And talking about, you know, what's, the good, what's a good strategy for figuring out what to log and when? I, th I do think, it, maybe we haven't emphasized this enough, but that threading issue, that issue of these 15 log entries amongst the 100 other ones all represent the same transaction or the same mm. execution path of workflow. Yeah. It's not a small problem. I, I've most, done most of my high-velocity work around web, and we always use the session cookie token as oh, yeah. the identifier yep. to, to make sure that, the, that when you had a problem with a transaction, you grabbed all the log entries for that token. Yeah. yeah. Um, a, lot of, a lot of schemes, I, mean, I, I remember back in the days of using WCF, there would be a kind of a correlation ID scheme built into w, WCF that mm -hmm. the framework would kind of attach these identifiers that flowed through. I think the... Um, the challenge is that there's just so many more diagnostic scenarios than you can kind of uh, guess at in advance. And right. so, um, so Serilog takes a really different approach by just trying to allow you to attach as much kind of contextual information into log events as possible. So it's... Because um, you do talk so about being structured as well. So you need structures around those identifiers. Yeah, it's, d it's difficult to maintain those sorts of things across a whole 
code base without them being you know yet yet another kind of central point of uh, like a Contention. list of yeah, yeah another kind of thing that gets causes merge conflicts when right. people, people are working together so <laughs> yeah. I don't know Serialog doesn't take a position on that so much mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but if I'm you know if I'm writing async await code like you, we don't even know what order the log entries might come in at we don't know anything yeah yeah, um, yeah we've got a f the Serialog has a fair few kind of like hooks for um, carrying data across async right. continuations and those, those sorts of things it's really had to it's had to take on all of that, I guess, by being kind of um, developed at the time that all of that was coming yeah, into the framework. Right. Um, yeah, it's it's a challenging task. I don't think it's a, it's not by any means a solved problem. That's the other surprising thing. We've been we've been writing log events in in applications for decades sure. and decades, and yeah, uh, I think we're just conditioned to accept the status quo a bit because. It's kind of good enough. Right. Uh, it's largely been seen as good enough. We we write out text to the console, and mm. we might pipe that into some kind of te text-based search index that we can go and you know get some kind of overview from later on. But right. there's a lot of wasted effort in, in the whole process, and I think Serialog's attacking a few at that from a few angles with mm -hmm. uh, message templates, which mm -hmm. it shares with a few uh, with other libraries like ASP.NET Core, and with um, there's a an analog beta that's coming along that's got support for the same style of structured logging as Serilog. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, so that angle of um, of making the uh, the events themselves easy to me mechanically process is is one of them. But I don't I don't think it's the last improvement we're going to make. No. Um, certainly not yet in log nirvana. I think one yeah. of the problems with logging is it's got the bicycle shed problem. Like everybody oh, right. mm. logs or yeah. should log, and yeah. everybody thinks logging's easy. Yeah, and it's easy to rat hole on on like trivial issues without seeing the big picture, which is all like which is wasted effort, or yeah. which is you know the lack of the kind of overarching pattern or, or or strategy for for making use of those logs later on. It's like, and I appreciate that you guys have done a lot right, but I still got to think there's got to be some discipline about when you call it, how you call it, like, and how you make sure there are identifiers. Like, it, yeah, that's got to be a process piece. It can't really be codified. I guess the the thing that I realized uh, about logging as I started working with Serilog is that it is it's a software engineering task that's kind of on par, and maybe the the recent focus that instrumentation has in general and performance and right. like distributed di diagnostics really point out that that whole process is as as important a piece of kind of software engineering as designing your entity model for a database mm -hmm. or anything else. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe even more critical. So uh, things like the Google SRE book and um, you know, other other things that have popped up lately have been good for kind of highlighting just how much energy, um, especially large companies like Google, are putting into to really making good logging and monitoring infrastructure. We, you, you know, you sort of talk about the enterprise architect ritual, or really any architectural ritual of mm. getting ready for an app or taking those things yeah. on, where we talk through a naming strategy and we talk through a tool set and, yeah. and so forth. It's logging's got to be on that list. Yeah, it does. It's I think that we disdain it a little bit because it has just been such a, a futile waste of <laughs> energy so much in the mm. past because there's just a limit to how many regular expressions a uh, developer can write in a day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And you know, you spend a little time digging around in that and you think, well, this is not software engineering. Yes. You know, and I think that's yeah. one thing that Serilog avoids and maybe elevates the whole, um, you know, and not just Serilog, but we we're talking about Slab, unfortunately, which is discontinued, and ETW, which is obviously not. Yes, yeah, um, part of the OS. Yeah, there's there's some improvements there, and they're pretty, yeah. um, I guess, pretty serious technologies to be able to um, handle the, what we're asking of them these days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's site reliability engineering, and I grabbed a link for the show notes just because it's you know it's an it's mm. actually an O'Reilly book, although they let Google's got a license to let you read it online for free. Yeah, and yep. it's just it, I like the term because it, it, it makes you as a developer think more in context of people are going to have to operate this software that you've written. Mm. Let's think about what it means to make that software reliable in, yeah. in, in an executable mode. There's, there are some super in interesting ideas in the book around you know, really allowing a budget for kind of manual effort and, and toil, as it's called. In, right, in toil. In toil, yeah. And uh, once, you're, once you're past that budget of spending so much time on, on these toiling tasks, you need to go back and apply engineering to reduce it. Yeah, I think you know what that is? That's technical debt. Yeah, right? exactly. The, sh the yeah. shortcut taken yeah. by a developer for very good reason, typically to make a deadline, yeah. Yeah. now gets manifest in operations as yeah. an ongoing manual piece of toil. 
Mm-hmm. And if you don't capture that and, and accumulate it to show its cost, it's hard to get budget to go back and remediate that debt. Mm. I, yeah. it, it would be lovely if there was always a consistent way to measure technical debt like mm-hmm. that, wouldn't there? I mean, uh, maybe having sort of time sheeting could be one way. And I think that's the kind of impression I get from the, from yeah. the book. But, um, but yeah, just being able to quantify how much energy is going into technical debt would just be so, so useful to justify. Sure. You know. It's a DevOpsy thing, right? Yeah. But it's definitely a, a talking point in stuff like the Phoenix Project and stuff about yeah. just documenting work. That so much IT work, because each of those toils is relatively small, never mm. gets documented. Mm. And so if you, you know, get into ritual, and I've done this with a team with Post-it yeah. notes. Ah, yeah. It's like, mm. don't even get up your desk, just write it on a post-it note, and then, you know, when you go for coffee, take those post-it notes and put it on what is ultimately a Kanban board, yep. but it's just show, but it's showing a post-Kanban board of what we did, right. uh-huh. and then you start to get this, you know, the average dev is going to put a post-it note or two a day mm. for the yeah. items they worked on, but the average IT guy, especially frontline guy, it's 30, 40, 50 to flipping things. Yeah. And suddenly it's like, when I filled up a wall with post-it notes that way, <laughs> and somebody, and I had different <laughs> color codings based on who was in what role. Right. And so it was, the, it was the yellow ones that was all the IT guys. And somebody said, what is this? I said, this is technical debt yeah. manifest as labor. It's yeah. actually worse if you, if you make them puce. <laughs> you know? I just don't know what color that is. We, we, once, we once had a, uh, a strategy where we had a, a tiny little um, portable whiteboard, which we could pass around our team uh, as the technical debt register. Nice. And so you would write your little piece of technical debt on the board. But if there wasn't any room to write the technical debt that you just you incurred, couldn't you couldn't do it. So you had, to, you had to get one thing off first. And it, just, it was the Kanban system. But awesome. I love that. Yeah. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yes, it's time for me to swear that I will not stoop to the obvious jokes about finding the number of laughs in the log file coming up zero, <laughs> or the number of listeners that laughed at my previous jokes being zero. You have my word. I will not tell that joke. So let's just move on. Well, I know I feel better. All right. <laughs> It's actually time to give away DevExpress D-Experience subscription to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an Office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their new DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM, state controllers like Redux and all that, and it supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing. You can check it out and test it for free by getting it from GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com superhero. All right, buddy, who's our winner? Today's winner is Ben Osborne. Congratulations, Ben. I'll clap for you, sir. Ben just won the DevExpress D Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from them, just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December... We give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of said fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And Nick, it's been a while since we asked you this question. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology, what would you buy? Uh, I think I, I, actually I would be stuck at replacing my favorite microphone, which, uh, which unfortunately wow. somehow I was you know, lost, in the, lost in the dark, dark distant past, moving between houses and the, oh. and the like. What yeah, was it? So, uh, I was a road. I can't remember. Wow. Uh, we've, got a, we've got a great little company that makes microphones in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, $5,000 yeah. on I a spe- mic. Actually, I couldn't spend $5,000. I you think know what, you actually? Could. You could no. on a Neumann, you know? No, but I probably couldn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you, you couldn't look yourself in the eye if you did, is what you're saying. Yeah. If I've got anything left over, I would put it towards my Surface Studio. Yes, the quick uh, four grand. Like, That's an easy one. Too, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I just got to jump on B&H uh, Photo, which also has great collections of gear for, for audio, mm-hmm. to say, hey, in a large diaphragm condenser microphone, so, sort by price high. <laughs> yeah. How much can we spend anyway? I bet the so Neumann's at the top I'm of the list. I'm not getting any change. 
price, high to low. Just, I just want to know. The, you know, the real money is in the vintage mics, like the 1950s. Yeah, if you really you have a need to spend a lot of money on a microphone, yeah. that is the way to go. Ah, uh, a Telefunken U4747, $16,000. Wow. Telefunken <laughs> U47. Now, what, <laughs> oddly enough, a special order. Yeah. <laughs> then we don't stock those? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you think I'm willing to wait? Those are nice mics. What does that microphone do well, that's you worth $16,000? Here's the thing, is that lately, microphones that you can get for a few hundred dollars mm -hmm. can do the job 99% of you know what those things do. Right. The, the real reason that people want microphones is because they either cut or boost certain areas, uh, certain frequencies that make them prone to make particular instruments sound better oh, yeah. without having to do any EQ. You know, so you just want, you have a, you know... A, you you want to get a perfect capture right off the bat. You have the a bat. guitar amp, you use a, a, a Shure 57. Right. Because that's the perfect microphone for a guitar amp. You know, you have uh, a voice typically needs a con large diaphragm condenser microphone. But some of them also um, have better... Uh, response in the diaphragm, right? You know, and they can take more pressure. So yeah, most of these like multi-thousand-dollar mics are Newmans, right? And they just they got unbelievable response. Newmans, yeah. And and the thing is, you can scream into them, and they'll still smooth out your 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 frequency response. Whereas Ooh, the only that reason explains meatloaf. We yeah. <laughs> the only reason that we can use like hundred-dollar large diaphragm condensers for podcasting and it sounds good is because we're not screaming. Right, we're just, right. you know. We're just using that steady voice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Manly Labs Gold Reference Multi-Pattern Microphone, five grand on the nose. There yeah. you go. Okay. All the money's gone. Sign me up. Thanks for placing. There you go. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't imagine spending that kind of money on no. mic. But, right. but uh, you know what? I could on a Surface Studio. That is a yeah. beautiful piece of equipment. Right. It's very aspirational. It's just sort of, you almost want to just pet it. Yeah, they're a lovely looking, lovely looking machine. They are lovely. I love the starting sequence of getting ready with Serilog, where you new get the thing in, and then you define a logger, and then you write a log entry, and it says, this log entry will be written nowhere because you didn't put in a sync. Uh, yeah. Go ahead and shout all you like. That's yeah, funny. well, that's a, somebody asked about, um, about the performance of Serilog in, a, in the discussion after the talk yesterday, and, um, and uh, it's a bit counterintuitive, but I think right. that the most important aspect of performance for a logger is when the thing is turned off right. because in production even if um even if you have a fairly high level of logging you're still probably collecting only a tenth of what you potentially could if you crank things up to the debug level and so right. you know so nine out of those 10 logging statements are doing nothing and they shouldn't be they there shouldn't should be, be no overhead to them no overhead and there's it's easy to fall into traps like uh using volatile state for example to track the levels which means there's a memory barrier and you know you have, you, you've got a, a performance impact of the thing even though it does nothing right you know um, so Serilog's crafted pretty carefully to be mm. no impact if no you're impact not, if it's not sinking yeah. yeah and ideally your application never has any problems and you can turn it off all altogether and have right. zero impact no, <laughs> no. Right. I yeah, think that's all <laughs> one day how one many day levels of logging do you think makes sense I think levels are maybe less important in the structured world where um, we, we have all of these complex l logging level schemes because there isn't really a, um, a better way in traditional sort of text-based logs to kind of sort, sort out one event from another. Whereas right. with Serilog, you've even got things like event types where every single event that's produced by the same logging statement actually has a type that's mm -hmm. derived from the format string that produces the, the event. And so... Um, it's it's not really necessarily. Um, I mean, most things should that have some kind of impact on the real world are just mm. they're just events. They're not a level. They're not. No. They're just information. But yeah, no, you know, that makes so, make sense. Yeah, so there's a lot more ways to go ahead and sort. And so the leveling thing is maybe not such a yeah. central part of it. But mm -hmm. do you, do you treat error handling separately than just logged? No. Uh, although I've seen it, uh, it perplexes me a little bit that that there are error error handling specific libraries and solutions because I just uh, I, I sometimes have trouble deciding what level an event is whether it's a warning or an error or just information I mean I might call an integration point some other API I'm expecting that it might fail so it failed I need to log something right you know, you know we uh, in AppVNext took over the poly project and yeah. you know, that is sort of a retry policy 
Yeah, um, that thing. And that's a really good, the, the combination of Poly and Serilog, we use it all the time. Ah, that's, that's cool because um, yeah. the, the original developer of Poly, Michael Wolfenden, is, Wolfenden, um, is yeah. actually in Brisbane as well, where I'm, yeah. where I, where I'm from. So we've yeah. got a good .NET open a source. Contingent. Um, contingent there. there, yeah. Yeah, so yeah it's I mean, it's great because you do generally have levels of, um, levels of, of things that happen when you're using, let's say, a uh, circuit breaker. Yeah. Right? So you're not, you're not failing right away, you're retrying, but then after a certain yeah. number of retries, now you break the circuit, you open it up, and you don't allow the calls to go through, yeah. but you still might want to log. But you're yeah. lo what you're logging is going to be different than if it actually fails completely. But you still want to know that, it, that it were, there was a temporary hiccup. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. You want to know that you retried. Well, right. I think knowing that something failed is the first step, and I, I think if Many many organizations just actually started collecting errors. There would be a uh, step ahead of where where a lot of right. us are now. Sure. However, the next step, as soon as you found that something's failed, is you really need to try to understand what was happening and why. And right. I don't think separating error error handling from any other kind of logging is yeah. is going to help with that because you know it's more more friction and effort to go from you know the thing that detected your errors to some other system for logs it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me sure. but yeah i guess it, then really the the something like serilog a formal logging system is the superset so sometimes folks don't worry about overall logging they just want to handle transactionally interrupting errors how about that yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that this is changing the workflow i guess the secret is they're really just events in in general and right. so I've, people people do use serilog for things like metrics general metrics yeah. and that sort of um, you know, any event that can be represented sure. as a blob I, of JSON like sort of or a blob of data somewhere. State yeah. of the system. Like, do you yeah. have a sense of where you are at? Yeah. Mm. It's a very different mindset about what, what you would log and how you would log it. But True. It, I would always, you know, thinking about Polly and Serilog together is really interesting to me that mm. I would like to know that something's being retried on a regular basis, even yeah, though it ultimately completes yeah. successfully. It's like That's it. yep. just the curiosity of why, why is this happening? You know, maybe a connection takes longer to negotiate or yeah, or something something's going to fail down the track when exactly. the threshold is, yeah. Yeah, just these transient errors that happen for no reason. You, know, you don't have control over the network. Well, I know we've certainly had the experience with stuff like SQL Azure that, sure. you know, it's not up 100% of the time. Nope. Sometimes you get a timeout and, yeah. and a simple poly recovery is good, but it's nice to know how often that's happening. Yeah, sure is. Yeah, it, it's a great combination. And, and you know, one of, the one of the challenges then is when you see a retry or any of those modes coming out of a library like poly, mm. Do you know if you succeeded or failed? Mm. Like, can you make that association go, oh, here was the resolution of this? Yeah. Eventually, you know, you either fail and give up or right. um, or it just keeps retrying or yep. a number of times or backs off. There's a bunch of ways that you can do it. But I guess it depends on, you know, how how important that transaction is. If it's not really that important, you can let it go. Then you may not even need a retry. Maybe sure. something that's happening on a regular interval. Just let something go. Those, thing, those things go. that happen separated by time are really interesting to try to extract from log data because you sure. go straight into that stream processing yep. territory, which is always mind-bending for me. I find it always very satisfying if I can actually get something like that to work, but mm. never never seems intuitive, like uh, hooking up RX and those kinds of mm, tricky yeah. tools to go in and work out what correlates in time. Is so what about viewers? Well... What about viewers? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> actually, what a great answer. Sort of like a soap yeah. opera ending right there. Yeah, yeah. What well, about that's, the, that's that hundred different destinations. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think um, the the most important the most important thing about any kind of log collection scheme is just that you can get to the data. Um, collecting logs in a log file that sit on a VM that you need to remote to is just it means that you're you're going to leave a lot of value in those file, files untouched. I mean, yep. and and help you if um, you need to request that someone in an ops team goes and logs onto that VM and yeah. grabs those log files. So any kind of centralization is good. I've seen people use email um, generally mm. semi-successfully. Very mm -hmm. small systems can kind of pull error events and things into email as a logging target. Um, <laughs> there's Seek, the product I work on every day, which is like an HTTP-based web server mm -hmm. um, that collects, uh, collects errors and provides a kind of a query language. Um, SEQ. Seek. Seek. Well, yeah. this is um, the result of understanding logging as event processing. When I started working on Seek, I, f I thought that I was essentially building a stream processing system. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Seek is the type in uh, OCaml, but also F-sharp, I guess, that right. represents innumerables. 
And uh, yeah. yeah, so don't let developers name things is a very uh, <laughs> good <laughs> adage to go by. But um, but yeah, there's there's so much interesting um, stuff happening in that space. There's a lot of stuff from Microsoft like App Insights, and there's mm -hmm. Splunk and Elasticsearch, both used a lot in, um, sure. in .NET shops. I think the most important, well, it's the the most important thing is that uh, you know you make use you've got something that you can make use of in your environment. So sure. Like right. The App Insights solution seems very interesting to me. If you if you're going to run in the cloud, the fact that App Insights does so much with data if it if it can. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's a staggering kind of array of functionality in there. It's some interesting stuff. Yeah. I, I just wonder how that sync really works. Like, is there particular tokens or symbols or stuff that you need to feed to App Insights that it knows what to do? Well, I've looked at this a little bit with another library as well that um that Microsoft produces for I think Service Fabric logging called Event. Um, uh, now the name's going to go and slip me. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the 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 funny thing is that if you take data from some kind of general purpose library like Serilog, and then you need to go and fit that into something that's got a few more domain smarts like App Insights or mm. you know, any, num any number of kind of collection tools, you know, there's, there is an interesting kind of heuristic mapping layer where it's like, well, if this property is called exception, then we can poke that into the special error field or you know, right. if, the, if the thing looks like metrics, then we'll treat it as a metric event rather sure. than a log event. And yeah. Um, yeah, so there's, some, there's some challenges with um, taking that that generic data and, and mapping it out. But I think the advantage you get from having the general purpose way of collecting it is if you do decide that you've outgrown whatever means you're using to collect logs or if your, your app has mm -hmm. to run somewhere different, then you know having a general purpose way of collecting all that information is going to mean you've got more portability. Sure. Well, and, and part of the, you, you kind of dread the prospect of moving from one logging strategy to another just because you, mm. you're going to disrupt a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's like switching source code Systems, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Is is there much more to do in Serilog land other than more syncs oh. when new products come out? I've I've um so up behind my house in um in Brisbane because I live a little a little way out of the city. I've got a a nice little um, mountain walk that I can take take my lunch break on, and I've been uh -huh. thinking about that on the on the way up lately. Um, I think that the future in .NET is really getting defined by the push towards better and better and better performance mm -hmm. and. Yeah. Um, and I can see in the next wave of .NET technologies, there's, there's tons of interesting stuff coming around Core 2.0 um, in that high performance mm -hmm. space that I think we could make use of in Serilog. Um, and it's not that we have a lot of overhead now, but sure. over the stack, once, once one component has become faster, everything else kind of becomes visible and there's, there's a drive towards everything having really zero impact and zero right. allocations. And yep. So there's, there are some non-trivial changes that we could make to kind of streamline the pipeline and do less allocations. And I mean, there are, there are still lots of things we'll obviously have to say no to as well, just to keep the code base sane right. <laughs> over time. Right, um, right. But yeah, I think that the, nec the next wave of, of um, Serilog releases is going to be along those lines. I have a huge expectation coming into Core 2. I think this is going to be a very important mm. version of Core. Yeah. yeah I, I, uh, I do too. I try not to let my expectations get out of control. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so far the time I've spent with it has been has been really good. I've been porting a few few components of Seek from running predominantly on Windows to also running on Linux and Docker. And um, mm -hmm. so far the Core 2.0 stuff that I've run there has pretty much just worked. And it's still a long way from an RTM as far as I understand the schedule. Or yeah, I, yeah. Know, I don't yeah. know what the schedule is. So maybe by uh, the time this shows out, or it's, it's, they said it's. Summer, fall time frame, so it's right. it's, it's going to come. Yeah, right. right. Yep. And I pulled up the issues list on GitHub. You only got eight issues open on a project that's been around this long. Somebody's been very pruny. Yeah, well, organized. Uh, and there's also a bit of a policy of uh, of closing things that are not really going to get attention. I right. think the tr the trouble is that if someone comes to the issue tracker and is looking for something to to contribute. Uh, we we really only want the items that actually have a chance of making it into the right into the product to be be there. Yeah. Hate to have um, somebody put their time into something. Yeah, exactly. That you're not going to to accept. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, unmangle a wink uh, uh, async await stack traces. Yikes! That's been there for a while. Isn't it horrible uh. reading async stack traces though? Oh, terrible, yeah. terrible. Yeah, this is from 2015. You've this well, one's been fought for for a while, right? There, there was some talk around that time of there being some functionality brought into the framework to do it. Right. Um, and Maybe so that one's core being two, right? It's left open there in, in hope that we'll get a better experience. All right, that's fair. Sometime, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. yeah, yes, here you are reopening yeah. it again. I'm I'm not willing to give up just yet. <laughs> Maybe, maybe yeah. it'll be okay. 
Yeah, you also you also Richard don't see the um I guess the the spread of issues across other repositories. So we've got things sure. like the file sync where we've had work to do things like um, file sharing on .NET Core and um, all sorts of things like that um, over time. So the the issues list is probably not hugely representative because that repository is just the core. Serilog library right. that has mm -hmm. a pipeline and not much else, and can be um, can feel sort of done, right? Like, and look at the Serilog syncs to Splunk. That's a trickier piece of code, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Very um, interesting. I got to tell you, this is somebody I'm dealing with humanitarian toolbox and so forth. Like, just watching how orderly the Serilog GitHub is. Like, you guys are good at this. You should teach a class. You know, yeah. of a running a, a coherent open source project that's actually going to live for a while and have a lot of contributors. It's not a simple problem. Mm. No, and following along uh, projects like the CLR and BCL and, and the Rust project, which is also a brilliantly run open source project, mm -hmm. is not necessarily the right thing for a s sort of medium-sized .NET project because there's a, I mean, to run, say, the, the .NET repositories on GitHub, there's a lot of automation and there's a lot of kind of support that goes into those things and maybe the same tactics don't apply to smaller mm -hmm. libraries so we've had to develop a few of our own, our own tricks to stay sane yeah, yeah I, I guess you know especially when you think about git you think about linux and arguably one of the largest most complicated most convoluted long-running multi-contributor projects in some ways they're yeah. better at that yeah right? and, mm -hmm. it, and microsoft's benefiting from that than it is a small group of dedicated people but still with a diverse contributor base just you know, with a simpler piece of, or smaller scope project, it's harder to manage in that respect. Yeah. Oh, so like, kudos to you, my friend. Like, yep. It's very impressive what you've done here. And it's, uh, you, you talk about, you. when I talk about so, great open source people, like you want to model somebody, model Nicholas Blumhart. He does uh, good it's, things. It's yeah. not without not without a lot of help from the, the co-maintainers and the community even sure. with that one. And yeah. the occasional butt kicking when you make mistakes, because yeah. mistakes happen, right? Well, it's, it's it's good to have some skin in the game and use a lot of these things in the other yeah. in the other projects that I work on. So when I break things, I really upset myself. <laughs> like, yeah, I pay for it. Uh, sure, no, it's, yeah. it is a project you're using too, right? Yeah. Well, Nick, thanks. It's been great talking to you and catching up. Thank you, Carl. And maybe and we'll you, see you next yeah. year. Yeah, lovely talking to you guys. Do too. this again. Three years is too long. Another yeah. another Oslo Fjord boat cruise. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a few more shrimp I have to peel. Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and of course in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a